Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Dealership Fix-It podcast. This is episode number 29, and I've got world-famous Joe Johnson of Tucker Power Sports on with me to uh, to chat about, I don't know, whatever we feel like chatting about, I guess, today. We're going to chat about what's maybe new at Tucker. We're going to chat about what's it like to go into a dealership as a rep of a big distributor like that. Um, what are some things that dealers are doing to kick extra ass, what are things that maybe some dealers are doing um, that they need to move away from and do differently uh, for uh, for benefit? I, I'll introduce you now, and then we'll kind of go into it. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me, sir. Absolutely. I mean, you're world famous. You've got you've done a show with uh, old wild ass Craig at one point. You got your own kind of show. You've done. You've got uh, you've become a bit of a personality outside of your space and into the, into the power sports, uh, other world, I guess. Right. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, I think I've got a mission statement pretty close to yours, just trying to help as many people as possible in our industry. Yeah. I think that's what, um, you know, listening to your stuff. I mean, I don't know. People can probably go off on their own. You know, they become very self-serving sometimes, but I don't get that at all from yours. So that's why I appreciate it and thought I'd like to chat with you just in one of my sessions and, uh, kind of talk about all that, you know, is, is, uh, you or I, or, or anybody that goes in to make it your business to go in and serve a business or the people of the business. And, uh, maybe the challenges that we run into with that, because obviously we we're in business with somebody and hopefully money's being made on all sides of it, or it's not a good fit, but, uh, it's, it definitely can be a challenge, right? Oh, absolutely. I'm never shy about my agenda of making money, but, uh, <laughs> I think most people uh, understand that my dad taught me early on one of the most beautiful compensations in this life is you cannot help another man without helping yourself. So I've always lived by that. And I kind of wanted to bring it into the rest of the industry, not just Arizona where I'm from. Right. And so you are you in Phoenix? Is that where you are or that area? Yes, I am one of the reps for the metropolitan area. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, I don't know how many dealerships you call on, but, um, you know, a stack, right? you got a bunch of guys that you go in and serve, and, and obviously every everyone is different, even though they may have similarities, uh, you know, from your perspective walking in, which is why I always thought as a guy who started in this business in the, in the service and parts side of a power sports dealership, I immediately saw the, the resource, and they weren't really, in my opinion, that great at it back then, about coming in and training us as, you know, parts people. But I definitely think you guys have made a big shift in doing that now. Uh, but that being said, you probably get met with a with a quite a bit of variance in how eager they are to utilize your knowledge or you know reps you might bring in from manufacturers or perspective that you walk in and out with. I mean, what's what's that look like these days? Well, you know, I I, I believe that's the relationship and the trust. So I always think I've reached the next level when a general manager, a parts manager asked me, would, could we do training on that? Or if I suggest that they say yes. And that is like a, another rung on that relationship ladder that you let. They trust you enough to train their employees. And I, I take that as a great responsibility and I, I do not take it for granted at all. Mm-hmm. And I consider it an honor. 
the um, I'm trying to think. Back in the day, I would get a a, a um, distributor rep. You know, would come into the dealerships I worked at. It was either you know parts guy, parts manager, or whatever at. And it, I had some good reps. I would say. I mean, I don't know if you know any of those guys are. I'm trying to think of the how many years ago it was, and if any of those guys are still in that same role. I know several of them retired or leave the business. You know, if they couldn't hack it, <laughs> so to speak. Um, but you know, I just I feel like. Um, you know, I know for you guys at Tucker, you know, you take that part very seriously. I know other distributors probably are smart enough um, to, to do a lot more of that as well. But um, what's your approach when you come into a dealership, right? So it's a dealership. Let's say it's a dealership that you have that you've never really done much training and haven't been open to it. Um, where, do you, where do you kind of bring them in the conversation to get them to like, you know, say, hey, I got, I got a lot more in-depth knowledge on a category or a certain product line. Um, I'd like to, you know, corner some of your time. Where do you get, where do you kind of start that? Well, you know, I, it's all in the questions and getting to know the customer, their business. I call it getting nosy mm-hmm. and finding out where the gaps are, where you can then try and solicit your expertise, so to speak. So I will take a few to several weeks getting to know a customer and just going in and asking questions and figure out where a game plan, where I can be an asset. We, um, we had some training years ago from, I cannot remember the name of the gentleman, but I love the way that he called either you're coming in and adding, I, I know that adding value is just so overused, but coming in and being an asset, or are you just a visitor? Mm-hmm. And I guess the pain or the negative is always stronger than the, than the payoff. So I don't want to be a visitor. So I want to go in and I want to get a great broad stroke of how they run the business, where they might be lacking in the business. And if I can, I mean, you know, I've gone through financials with some of my customers. Uh, they've given me privy to that to see where we can actually use the P and L and look at it or the margin or wherever, where there's a weak spot. So just find the pain is my, I guess what I, my answer is. Okay. Yeah. I, I like that. And you, you definitely have to establish, you know, as you come in with a guy with a certain skill set, and obviously a dealership, a owner, general manager, whoever has their own skill set they bring, you know, you don't want to go and try to show them where they're messing it up, where they might actually have strengths or, or that are better than yours or, or mine, right? You want to go in and say, okay, this is kind of what you've shown me that, or I can, I can see that you guys are already doing well. Here's an area that it looks like you probably have a lot of um, area to move and maybe level up. You know, I think about it kind of uh, maybe younger folk here will appreciate that from all the video <laughs> video game reference, right? Let's level that thing up, you know. That's very apropos for the <laughs> current culture, yes. <laughs> you, had, uh, you had shared a story with me. Um, well, I think you had shared it on one of your Facebook Live videos about a, uh, I think it was a, like a don't judge a book by the cover, you know, and I think uh, anybody that's worked in a retail setting has done that. And, you know, I think if you're smart, you learn quickly that you don't want to do that. You shouldn't do that. You got to move away from that. Do you, uh, do you remember that story? Do you feel like that's one you'd want to share on here? Yeah, absolutely. I call it uh, my Elvis story. Elvis? Yeah, my Elvis story. <laughs> okay. Because of uh, uh, we'll call him Mr. Rock. Okay. Mr. Rock came in there. So, um, to set it up, the owners are gone. They're on uh vacation except for 
Is this the a dad. big? Is this a big this like is, a big store this, or small store? Okay, this is Kelly's Kawasaki. If I can name drop, I don't know. You <laughs> You're welcome. That out. I don't know. You're welcome to as long as the story's not going to get them mad at you. <laughs> no, no, no. They won't get mad at me at all. Okay, Kelly's uh, Kawasaki. Okay, it's one of the largest Kawasaki dealerships in the country, volume wise, okay. in uh, Mesa, Arizona, and. The the head cheeses were gone. The dad was there still, but he was, you know, in and out and stuff. And so I was basically running the store. I was the GM for the for about a week or so. And it's Friday, and it's closing. The guys are pulling in the bikes. Guy shows up, drives up in a, I think it was a like a '70s Cadillac with that rattle painted a rattle can paint job. <laughs> Something on the hood, I can't remember. He walks in, shaved head when it wasn't cool. This is going back into the 90s. Jean jacket, tattered jeans, old sneakers, and a, a leather necklace, a leather uh, th- necklace with a, it looked like a large disco ball around his neck. Wow, nice. As soon as he walks through the door, everyone immediately darts to get busy cleaning up in that. And I'm like, ah. Oh, you guys got a million things to do. So I walk up to the guy, greet him. We go through some stuff. He goes to the store and says, I was just down the street at an American motorcycle shop and they could not get me out of there fast enough. And they were very, basically in so many words, he told me they were rude. Mm. And I'm like, Oh, that's that, okay. That's fine. Well, what are you know? And then I go through the questions. What are you looking for? What kind of writing and stuff? Well, at that time in the nineties, we were doing Vulcan 1500s with Larry Vela custom paint jobs. Now this guy's a hot rod painter and this is some really badass artwork on some of these. Fantastic. I had about nine of them. And he says, I see you're closing. I like these. I don't know between these three bikes, but I'll be back in the morning and I'm going to buy from you. And I'm like, well, thank you, Mr. Rock. I appreciate that. And he goes, no, I appreciate you and the time you gave me. And he basically as a salesman, you know what that is the be back, but mm-hmm. I'll be back. Good luck. So then, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a, it's a no sales 99% of the time. Saturday morning comes around and back then in the nineties, watercraft was really busy and motorcycles were doing very well. So we had a full store. He gets in there mid morning and I've already got six people deep at the, at the finance office. I see him, I greet him, Mr. Rock, how you doing? Nice to see you. I'm glad you came back. He goes, yeah, I'm here. And I go, well, I got about six people. You know, just go ahead and look at the bikes. If you got any questions? Let me know. Yada, yada, yada. And I go about my business. About 45 minutes later, half an hour, I finally get Mr. Rock to sit down. And he brings a young man with him and sits down at the desk with me. And I'm like, okay. I just, you know, okay, you brought a friend. Uh, that's nice new. He introduced me and stuff. He goes, yes, I just met him outside. He's looking at the same motorcycles I am. And I'm like, Oh, okay. And he goes, I'd like to buy that one. And for my friend, I'd like to buy this one. And I had to pause. I'm like, you just met him. You're buying bike. Yes. Yes. I'm, that's exactly what we're doing. Red flag. Red and flag. so red flag. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Everything you know about any scam or anything when you're in sales, this is not. So I write up the worksheet on two of these custom bikes. I mean, obviously they got custom paint jobs on them. So they're a little bit more in that. And we're going through the numbers. I show them the numbers, looks at it intently for 
very short time, again, another red flag, he turns around and he goes, that'll be fine. And then I'm looking at him. Meanwhile, the gentleman, his young friend he just brought up, is on the phone. And he's uh, checking insurance. And as he hangs up, he's just got a bad, he just looks like he ate something bad. He's just like, I can't afford this spike. It's 1,500 cc's. My insurance says it's going to be this. Uh, he goes, this, I appreciate this, but I don't think this is going to work for me personally. And I'm like, oh, that's too bad. And Mr. Stonebrook, or Mr. Uh, Rock says, don't worry about it. I'll pay for your first year's insurance. Boom, another red flag. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? So now the young man is getting a little weirded out. I mean, I thought I was weirded out. He's getting a really weirded out. Like, what is this leading to? So they start discussing this and that, and I basically come to a solution. I grab a napkin that's sitting on the thing, and I write out a simple contract for him. I go, if you guys like this, change it, whatever, and stuff. Just agree with this and have him sign it. And Mr. Stone, he just signs it right away and gives it to the kid. And I go, okay. And they're like, the kid's like, yeah, pay for my insurance. Buy me a bike. Of course, I'm okay. I go to the office. I show the owner there. And he's like, I mean, this guy is my mentor. This guy taught me the motorcycle business. And he's just looking at me with a smirk like, whatever. How's he paying for it? And I go, he's writing a check. Now, in those days, we used to go down and hammer checks if we were leery. But this was so weird that we called the bank. Now, they can't give away personal information. They can't tell you any fun. I mean, it's all, you know, don't worry, people. The banks are still private. And I, I talked to the lady, and as I talked, I got her on speakerphone with the owner. And I'm like, you understand why we're calling. I know you can't give away anything, but we just want to make sure before I run down here on a busy day that I can get this cash check. And she goes, you know, I cannot give away any privacy or, or personal information, but I will tell you this. Mr. Rock has more than enough money to do this. He's done it before and he will do it again. (laughs) (laughs) My owner's looking at me. Serial bike gifter. Yeah, exactly. And the owner's looking at me like, no way. I've been doing this for, you know, decades upon decades. This is no way. So then we cut to the end of the day. I hammered the check. Everything went through. And I go through the bikes uh, with the young man. He picks his up first. Mr. Rock doesn't come in till late. Um, we go through this. Uh, it's after close now because we've been waiting for him because he was running late. And I'm sitting at the at the at the front curb as he drives away. And the owner looks over and he goes, "You are the luckiest son of a bitch I've ever met," <laughs> because it all went through, and every single salesman in the store walked around slack jawed for about two days because they couldn't believe they walked this guy who looked like he came up off the streets. If he wouldn't have driven, they would have been even more, you know, negative towards him. And it was a huge lesson in our shop of not to judge a book by its cover. And then, um, I said, as he drove away, I forgot the last line was Elvis has left the building. (laughs) (laughs) 
So I have to imagine with, you know, if they're custom paint, um, you said Vulcans back then? Yeah, Yeah. with an old BN-1500. Okay. A. And so with custom paint and that sort of stuff, you guys probably built some profitability and something that's unique and not a one, like I can go get the same one right down the street, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, Larry Vela at that time in our area was uh, really big. I mean, he basically... His specialty was painting, and he won awards on painting the underside of the Cobra Hood mm. with murals and pictures and okay. things like that. Yeah, very, very high end. So the Elvis story is supposed to tell dealership individuals, at least at the location you sat at, and now we're sharing it out here. I mean, everybody might have a similar story, but they probably hide them and bury them under the rug, right? Because you don't want to. Right. Tell the story about the time you you uh, judged and it and it cost you money, right? Uh, but right. that's a that's a judge. Don't judge the book by its cover. Right? Yeah, that's some a- of my biggest customers came in uh, that paid cash for stuff. They came in in their work clothes. You know, these guys are you know construction guys and stuff. And then when I run their financials, I'm like, holy crap! These guys are doing well for themselves and. That's why you don't judge people by the way they look. My dad used to shop in cutoff jeans in his holiest T-shirt. And his, his, his mind thought was, I'm only going to, he had two things going in. I only buy from a salesman that, that drives what he's selling mm. or wears what he's selling. That's an interesting and, point. <laughs> yes, exactly. That was his big thing because after he got to know you, he would wait for, the, for finally a salesman who didn't judge him to start asking him questions and engage in the sale. And then he would ask, do you drive with you? No, I don't. I know it's a Cadillac, but I'm, I'm a BMW guy. Okay. Hey, thanks for your time. Cause he doesn't want to buy from someone that doesn't believe in it, which is another good lesson. But the other one is don't judge the book by a cover. I mean, my dad, he embarrassed me. You know, a picture of four, you're 14 and your dad's dressed like a bum and you're buying a car. It's like an event. <laughs> I took a shower. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's um, you know, it's funny because I, I mean, obviously, we could go off in a lot of different directions with this conversation, but the the idea that you know, at a dealership, somebody, you know, if if it's I don't know, if you're at a big Cowie dealer, right? If this dealership you're talking about, like Kelly's, for example, right? I don't know that, right. and I'm not talking about them specifically, but you know, if you're a dealer that, that is representative of Kawasaki in a market, right? I see dealerships all the time um, that I go in and let's say, because I'm an adventure bike guy today, you know, I got an adventure bike. So I go in and I'm always looking for who in that, who works there that knows adventure bikes, right? To the level of me when I got nutty getting into them and thinking about them all the time and you're accessorizing out a certain one and you read about the other ones and the pros and cons and you live it real world and you see it on virtual, you know, whether it's forums or whatever. And that seems to be a big, uh, a hard spot to get, you know, is getting the person that's the, I don't want to say the diehard, but if, you know, if, if, if you're at a dealership that sells a bunch of Vulcans You'd like to think that there's somebody in there that's the Vulcan guy, or I mean, to say that they're all relatively knowledgeable is one thing, but I think what you just said is pretty important. Who there rides one? Who there is the who there who here's the Vulcan guy? And not not about Kelly's, and that's not what I'm talking about. 
But I still find it difficult, even though I've got dealers around me that, for the example that I have a KTM currently, and it's hard to find a guy that rides them and knows them, you know? So I don't know why that, I guess that, you know, I think back to my days, is it, is it just, you know, because it's hard to work a retail program and, and also do the thing that you're, you're pushing, you know? I don't know. Right. And it is difficult sometimes. I know it costs money and that, but, um, you know, there's something that it's something that a, a customer on another level can feel and see. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that. I, I, I believe if you believe in something that you should be and you're selling it, you could use, I, I guess I, I feel the worst for any salesperson. I don't care what industry it is. If you're selling something you don't believe in, mm-hmm. I just never seen anyone who's successful that way. Well, I wonder if that's a cart and a horse thing, right? Is it, is it that if you've got the good stuff or if you've got the stuff, you better learn it. And, and if it's not something you can get behind, then get rid of it. Bring in the stuff exactly. that you would get behind. I mean that, you know, I like to think of, you know, I know that is a, if you're a, excuse me, a fresh, especially a franchise dealer, you know, you have a lot of particulars you've got to do just the way the manufacturer wants it with how many units are out, which units, you know, you've got one of each represented or whatever, you know, they expect a lot of things from you. But, you know, when you look at the different pieces of, you know, moving into like an aftermarket, you know, uh, provider, like you guys, you know, you're not selling Kawasaki's to dealerships or Honda's to dealerships. They get that from their manufacturer, but you guys have all these different options for them. They have the ability to kind of swing the hammer whatever direction they want. Okay, yeah, we believe in this brand of helmet or we believe in this brand of gear. We're going to get behind that and be the, you know, I think that a little bit of the we're everything to everybody is is uh, definitely a hard place to hit now. You know, it's you get behind the products you believe in, advocate for those. What do they call it? What did they, uh, what's his name, Robert? Is his name Robert Kawasaki? Is that the guy that was with with Apple and he called himself a... Oh, shoot, I'm gonna mess it up. He uh, it was basically like he's a, he's a brand advocate, but he had a fancier name for it. Oh, and, and uh, I should just look it up. I'm sitting here at my computer. I guess I could look it up. Um, yeah, as a salesman, you 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 definitely need you, anybody can. I, I believe at this point in in a lot of people in this twilight of anybody's career, if you're a salesperson, if you're stuck with it this long, your skill set is such that you can really sell anybody anything if you really, really need to. And I used to be that way years and years ago when I first started, because I had to hit a certain number a day. And that was not good for relationships because you need to make sure not only do you sell that to them, but they have to sell through it. And that is a huge deal. Mm -hmm. You have to get the buy-in on the Arai helmet or, you know, whatever brand it is, like you said. And they have to be excited about it. They have to sell the sizzle on it to the customers. And if you don't have the buy-in, that's from John Maxwell, getting the buy-in with your leadership, creating the buy-in with with the employees. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to sell. And you know, I know you know, Brian, that you get to like, um, I just, I'm starting heated gear, even though it's 110 degrees in Arizona. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We'll be starting heated gear here in the fall. And you've always got that one person, arms crossed, rigid, <laughs> not looking at you while you're doing the presentation. And then I always confront, hey, what's the deal? What's going on? I, I, do you have a problem with questions or anything? Oh, well, I read on the internet that someone burned up on these. 
<laughs> what? Well, they, they, they got burned really bad. He said, oh, okay. Well, I'm sure that happens. But have you ever driven at 35 degrees at 55 miles per hour? Because that's zero degrees on your bike. And that's dangerous. <laughs> heated grips or no heated grips. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it, you've got to get that buy-in. You've got you've to win that. And I will tell you, You've got three guy, three people at the counter, and one doesn't have a buy-in. It's going to affect your sell-through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the. Uh, I guess it goes back to the uh, the things you don't know that you didn't know. <laughs> you right, know, uncovering <laughs> uncovering those things that can grenade, you know, your the success and and capability to sell and sell through, you know, products that would be profitable. I just looked up, and it's. He's going to, not that he listens to this. I, I don't think I've, I don't, I don't think anything of myself that I've got these guys listening, but it's Guy, <laughs> Guy Kawasaki, which it's funny because I've heard the guy, I've heard the guy, Guy Kawasaki, who was at Apple and he was, he, they called him or he called himself uh, evangelist at Apple back when he was there. And I always thought that that was funny. In fact, I worked at a company and he came and he was like a keynote speaker at our, whatever big sales meeting we had. This is many years ago now. But at the time, cool. that was it was like chief evangelist at Apple, and I, and I was always like, man, that's a weird title. What is that? What does that mean? Right? He's like he's a brand guy, obviously, but he's the one, you know. It's it's going out there, and he's 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 chosen to dig in like it's his own company. You know, he's out there to to win people over to the brand. Um. So yeah, it's that's not, awesome. It's, it's not Robert Kawasaki. I was thinking of Robert Kiyosaki, the, uh, I think that's how you say his name. The, oh, the rich, rich dad, dad poor dad, dad yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah. So this is yeah, Guy yeah. Kawasaki. So I've, I've, I've hopefully cleared enough up about my screw up on that one. So I won't uh, belabor it. <laughs> but, but anyway, so I think that's the, to me, I think, right, as a, as a guy, just like we all are, we're all shoppers and consumers at some level of our existence, right? And, and we do it at some level in our own business. If you work in a retail store, hopefully you're buying from your own damn retail store. But you know that you're going to experience yourself being the consumer elsewhere, either at another store that has something different or, you know, outside of your um, sphere of influence in, in power sports. And you'd like to think at all times when you walk in, I mean, as much you can't be the all knowing in all these other categories. So you always want to go to the person that you know has that depth of knowledge. And, and I think, you know, in a lot of cases, if we're talking aftermarket, especially right now, it sure seems like, the best way for these guys to plug into that is with you, the distributor rep, right? Yeah. Do the, do the training, become, become the source of information, become the expert on that. Because the difference when that guy comes in after he's already looked at that, at whatever, whatever online store, he wants to touch it and feel it. Now it's your shot. What do they got? Eight out of 10, I think is the last article I read. Eight out of 10 people will touch and feel it in the dealership. Six out of 10 minimum. Mm -hmm. So you've got a shot at these guys and gals that are buying online. They're coming into your store. So how are you going to set that? One, you're going to create a customer experience. Two, you're becoming a source of information. And three, assure them of their purchase, which none of that they get from the uh, online. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny as you, you know, as you 
I don't know, get down the, I don't, I don't use the funnel. Obviously the funnel analogies are, are pretty beaten old and a lot of, a lot of new variations coming out of those. But as you go further into the, like a process like that, I think, and you don't know where you are in the process, if you want something, you just are checking it out and everything. But as much as the internet, you know, um, definitely can give you the instant information to a certain degree. It's always lacking. It's always lacking that like, hey, I asked a question and it gives me a certain level of depth on the re- on the sort of a response, you know, on, on what I find in search. And I go in and I tweak the search a little bit. It gives me a certain amount of it. The, obviously, the in-person, the, the value that I think a dealership can add with that way beyond and exceed the internet, right, is you have the internet at your fingertips if you need it, you know, on the fly as a, as a, a dealership employee. But the ability for them to ask clarifying questions or for you to help guide their journey and and simplify it. That's why I don't, you know, if I get a, I don't know, a message from a business, you know, it's like, ah, I don't want to message with a business myself. Like, I don't want to message with name that cable company or name that internet company that you you have at your house. I don't want to probably do that. They, in my opinion, they haven't gotten that process tight enough where I feel like I can ask the right questions to get what I want done most efficiently. I want to talk to a person the same way I want to go into a dealership and get the person that gets me there or gets what I do there. You know, do you feel like, I know that you've probably got, you know, a pretty um, wide um, group of, uh, of dealerships that you work with, but, and I guess the ones I'm asking about aren't the ones who do get it, but I'm sure you've got some that don't get it in all areas. I mean, what, what are those guys, what would be, this sort of like a two millimeter shift or whatever that those guys could make to begin. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Two millimeter shift. Well put because, uh, to steer the ship, I mean, two millimeters down the road, a thousand miles. If you don't keep it straight, you're going to be a few thousand miles off your mark. Right. And there's a lot of guys going in that. Well, it's unfortunately it's an old, old thought process. Customer comes in, he's mind, you know, this, this, you know, you, you need to buy me and I'm probably exaggerating a bit, but you get the gist of it. And really, well, all they need to do is get a little bit. Well, I think you said it earlier, you're going in and looking for adventure bikes. You want to talk to that guy who is really riding an African twin or a KLR. Right. Not the, not the, a, not the guy who read the same stuff I read. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, the guy that's so going to, yeah. okay. Yeah, you, you, that this is okay. He's in your store. Customer experiences. You want to show him that you are the source. He needs to come to this store. You, as a person, because you've ridden Box Canyon on a on a dual purpose bike. You've done the. You know, this is what you need right away coming out of the gate. Now I know they're all saying this is is a flaw on this, and you need to do this. But if you do this first, you'll get much more enjoyment out of this bike, mm-hmm. and that's. Those little things like that in those in that in that one on one, with seventy percent of it being your body language, the excitement and everything, that's what gets you customers. I mean, in my humble opinion, I have to think. I have to think about you know, like, I, I again, I'm always filtering it through the places I worked, and I know that it was many years ago, and times were different, right? This is we're talking fifteen or something years ago when I worked at a shop last, you know, like that. But I do think that. That sort of getting somebody, you know, down the rabbit hole or whatever, you know, all these little sort of nuances that I'm, I'm sort of suggesting that a dealership needs to say, hey, you know, um, we're overstocked on Model X. 
or we've got a real good opportunity on profitability with these. And although it's it's kind of a mid-pack sort of uh, activity level at our dealership and in our listings online, and like we're getting some buzz on them, some activity, but it's not the newest, latest, greatest one that everybody wants that we can get none of. But if we get some real people behind them, some guys in the shop here riding them, talking about some hot setups, sharing you know, some content on social media and on our website about, oh man, if you're in this category and you're looking for a bike, you might want to rule this one in to your search and here's why, right? I mean, again, to me, that becomes a, that becomes a, you know, evangelist, you know, of, of a certain thing. And I always, I always find it odd that, you know, plenty of dealerships I think struggle with their being pulled instead of pushing, you know, kind of making the, you know, you know, you want, if a thing's a momentum piece, you know, units or, or, you know, aftermarket accessories and, and parts and things, great, accentuate that. But you also have some stuff that's bottlenecked, some stuff that's problem children, you know, whether we're talking units or, or parts or whatever. Well, what are you doing to, to turn the tides on that? How can you do that? Well, find the person that, you know, is going to get creative and think out of the box and let them build out some content, learn about it, you know. I think that I feel like that's missing and maybe, maybe it's not, maybe it's, you know, geographically where I am or what I see. Do you feel like, is there? No, I think you hit on a, uh, I mean, if we really want to drill down, you just, you just hit on the main point of all, of all, you know, cause I'm starting as you're thinking, I'm, I'm kind of getting out of the flow and I'm trying to think of what to say next instead of listening to you. So I apologize because (laughs) when you start talking about all this, I go, so many, oh, well, what about good, better, better, et cetera. But what you just tapped on is really nails it down to the, it, I mean, let's get right to the point. It's creativity. Mm-hmm. And I just think that a lot of shops are in a rut. I know they want to make more money and I know their passion is with it and it's their life, but you get stuck with the, with the, uh, with the blinders on and you, you if you stifle creativity, you're not going to to get some new ideas. And I don't know how I say it any simpler. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and as you know, they're long days working retail. I'll, I'll always say it because I worked retail in and out of retail and, and uh, I did electronics in a high school a retail store, long days. And then we get around the holidays and they were exceptionally long days. We work, you know, till like 11 o'clock at night, you know, we work like, Oh, you're coming in from 11 to 11 or whatever, you know, it's long days. I get it. And, uh, or even longer, I guess we did longer than that in some days, but they had, you know, different rules against that, I guess, as depending on your age. But um, I get that, you know, retail can be a grind and it can take a lot of times the energy out to keep you creative, you know. But I just think right. that, I think that at each store, maybe the individual that's listening to this can be the spearhead of, uh, of maybe a shift in that way. Maybe they can become the... Uh, evangelist, so to speak, of the store. And that doesn't mean they have to be the person that knows, you know, I'm the guy that rides the Grom and I'm the guy that rides the Goldwing and I'm the guy that rides the Africa Twin. I have all those bikes and I know them all, right? That's that's not realistic, right? I think if right. we're talking units or if we're talking, you know, certain products or whatever, I think you have to say, okay, and we all know that, you know, Jim over here is, uh, you know, he's really into adventure bikes, What's he riding these days? Is he riding something that's going to help the dealership or hinder the dealership? Because there's no secrets like that anymore, you know? Oh, hey, I know Jim in the back is a technician and he rides the wrong brand for this store. But what can you do? I'm not saying Jim shouldn't own the other brand. I'm just saying you want to make sure when somebody asks him about your brand, 
that he speaks from experience on it. I, I just think that that is a, is a losing proposition if you don't do it the right way. And maybe that means an ownership plans on making sure stuff's in demo or maybe that's not the case and you make the guy such a smoking deal he'd be foolish not to and let him sell the thing and make money a year later if you want to right i mean these right. are these are just ideas i have i get i get that you know i'm not in the front line trenches anymore doing that and i know it's hard to be there but and i would think you know i don't know you know just like you know you have examples probably on your side of the business what you deal with all day which is you know premium products you know i sell this i have competitive products i sell against you know what's a great way to make sure my stuff, if they choose to stock it, gets talked about and sold through a reordered, you know, ongoing cycle, right? Is it the same? They have to, you have to get your little evangelists in place, you know, make sure that they know the stuff and are wearing the stuff. Exactly. Yeah. You've got to get an alpha guy. I call him the alpha parts guy. Okay. You got to get him first. You know, that's, that's the lead dog. So, and if I have to, um, Sorry, I'm I'm wondering if I should share this with my competition. <laughs> oh, good point. Well, feel free not to go to places where if you feel like you got a, a bit of a secret sauce, I always would say to anybody that gets on with me, that's not what I'm trying to do. Just have a conversation. Well, you know, yeah, I, I, I yeah, I just had to think about it for a sec. You know what? No, because it'd be better for all dealers if this happens with the reps. So here you go, competition. <laughs> I like to find out who their alpha guy is. Uh, for example, I have a shop um, um, that has an old gentleman that is a, uh, this is the UTV segment, and he was an old open wheels racer. So even though this guy is like 70 miles, 70 years old, he drives these trails four or five times faster than anybody he will scare the bejesus out of you. But that is just his way of riding because he was a pro for so long. I got him a set of tires. And that I call as an alpha retail customer. Because once we got those tires on his unit, they sold a whole bunch of other tires from the group that he has influence with. Mm -hmm. You know what's funny about that is the influence alpha and in this case i've you know we're obviously i'm trying to force this to happen because i'm still staring at the screen with guy Kawasaki's <laughs> evangelist sort of uh wikipedia entry here um yeah, yeah. i think it's i think it's um in my humble opinion i think it's time for for you know what you just said so influence right in the whole like i'm sure everybody's still the tagline for influencers and do i get kim kardashian to to, you know, to show a picture with next to my motorcycle and pay her, you know, 300 grand to do that one picture and it'll really blow up my sales. I think that that's the, that's a misrepresentation of how, like, I, I get that there are people on different social media places that have tons of followers that people listen to and look to for, you know, some of the content. But I think that's, I think even though that term is getting to be, you know, I think abused and people are tired of hearing, oh, an influencer, he's a social media influencer. I think that's still a thing, but I think that you look inward. I think that that's your, like you say, if it's a, if it's your alpha or or that's the most, let's call it the most proactive, most ready to lock and load, you know, uh, understand a certain product and become the evangelist of the product. And you know what? Maybe they're an evangelist for that product and maybe the next model year, a better something else comes out from the same brand, different model or whole different brand. I think that's real. And I think that's what 
right now that's that's the differentiator between you're either you know somebody can buy these parts and accessories and things online or they can buy them from you at the dealership why would they come to you what's different is it a commodity absolutely you know unless you're doing custom Vulcans <laughs> right it's not a commodity it's different it's not you won't find another one like this one here or whatever um, right but I think that's where you that's where you separate yourself right is making sure your retail location you know that you have people that are driven deep in different segments within the store and yeah you know like oh hey old Jim in, in the in the back you know he's got the week off he took a week off this year in the off season and somebody comes in and they want to know all about that bike he's not here sorry yeah we've got a guy here though you know I don't know I don't know where you go with that, but again, you know, you're not, everybody gets some time off, but the, the concept that you've got somebody generally on staff that is the, the expert, you know, in real life experience on riding things, you know. Yeah, we're putting something together. Yeah, yeah, and again, I, the service I and parts. Yeah. exactly, and I apologize because I'm, 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 my brain, I'm thinking units, right? But I, I say that I think it applies across everywhere. If we're talking, no, oh, you know, unit wise, yeah. or we're talking certain tires, you know, like I'll ride this on my, you know, whatever my Grom. <laughs> and that's where I always, when when I was a sales manager, to kind of pile on that a little bit, you know, I knew the guys that were good at selling watercraft and I wasn't any good when I started selling watercraft and it was like, I'm like, okay, I'm no good at selling watercraft. I, I need to go out and ride some. I need to get, uh, I need to, so I would listen and I would take notes of the best salesman's uh, presentations mm-hmm. on that, whatever, whatever it was, because when I first started, uh, I'm, I'm just a saddle tramp. I just ride a motorcycle on two wheels as, far as I possibly can and then turn around and come home. I'm not an off-road guy. I'm not anything. So I hadn't, so really for being in power sports, uh, you know, my whole life, I really didn't have a, a well-rounded thing. And I didn't understand why the other guys didn't want to learn from the other salesmen. Something, something was in their filter or something that it didn't do it. They hear them, but they don't listen. Hmm. I think, you know, it's funny, I think, you know, having been in, in a sales role for enough years now, you work for a different sort of uh, companies and they have different trainers and a lot of them do a lot of these role plays, right? And I'm not saying that's what happens at dealerships, but I think, you know, when you do different trainings and stuff, the, um, no, I'm the real me, I'm not going to be an actor and pretend and let's play roles and you're going to, I'm going to, we're going to sales role play. That's really tough, I think, for a lot of people. And I don't like it either. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm not talking about other people. I don't like that either. I think uh, because I like to be genuine. Um, you know, it can get you in trouble sometimes. But I think um, I think that's what you know consumers right now are expecting. And again, I think that's a, a thing that sets you apart from somebody's ability to commoditize you online. You know, oh yeah, you sell a brand X model Y. Yeah, absolutely. I can get the X Y right down the street, or I can get it for 500 bucks less by driving 20 minutes the other way. Why wouldn't I do that? Well, you know what? <laughs> this is me, right? If I'm at a dealership, I'd be like, yeah, man, you might be right. And, and we'd appreciate your business. I can tell you that if you want to come in, we got old Jim in the back that will pull him off the bike he's working on. We'd like to give you 15 or 20 minutes. We, and it's time's money back there. We can't really do this, but we're willing to put him in front of you and have him talk to you about other units, other models that, you know, maybe the strengths and weaknesses of some other competitive ones. So you have a full picture. Yeah, you're going to go and talk to, you know, maybe a salesman at the other dealership, not pitching sales versus, uh, versus, uh, 
service or anything like that, but, um, you know, provide that level of sort of clarification to be, you know, the advocate, you know, or the whatever, you know, go back to the evangelist, you know. And maybe, yeah, and maybe, I like advocate. Yeah. I don't know. Do you, I mean, do you find do you find some of your more successful shops? Is that what they do? They've got people that are advocating or being the advocate for the consumer equally at the same time that they are with the product. Is that how they're successful? Oh, without a doubt. The 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 guy's passion is so overflowing that the customer cannot help but get excited when they're talking to him because they're so believable. It's authenticity. It's very authentic, mm-hmm. and that always comes through. And that's always my goal is to be as authentic as I possibly can no matter where I'm at. No no mask anymore. I'm too old for that shit. So <laughs> I try and teach that to the younger guys. I go, just try and make your your own style. Like I tell them about the stores. They want to they do what the, the store down the street's doing. I go, do something different. You guys are just copying each other. Do something different, completely you know, authentic to you and the thing. And there's where the work comes in, mm-hmm. especially if they have never been there before. Mm-hmm. If they're getting outside the lines, they're going to color outside the lines for yep. maybe the first time in 30 years. Mm-hmm. And it is a daunting task, but if they're open to it and you can help them succeed and get an ROI on this and make some money for their family and their employees, it's such a win-win-win. It's fantastic. I love my job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so I want to go on into more of this, but let's take a little quick break, okay? And we'll come back, and I got um, something that popped in my head as you were saying that that I wrote down. You got I it. want to go into that, so we'll be right back. Okay, and we're back. I'm back with Joe Johnson of Tucker Power Sports out of uh, Phoenix, Arizona. The Phoenix from the ashes, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So we were talking, um, and I don't remember because now we off we off mic in between um, when I hit go again on the record button here. We got talking, and it's easy to do sometimes when you're getting and our brains are going. But um, when we ended, we were talking about I think uh, more or less it was about you know tapping into getting getting your staff and you know at your location at the the business where you're there to to serve customers and get them back and back and back to keep them utilizing you for that reason was about getting um, the creativity kind of uh, brewing in your in your staff. And I don't remember exactly what we were talking about, to be honest. And now we've talked about a few things off mic, so I really don't know where we're at. But I think, uh, I think it'd be safe to say that, um, you know, we need to help, you know, you and what you do and, and I what I, and what I do. We need to help uh, dealerships who, who work a hard retail grind, you know, who, who can't always be on, you know, you'd be... 20 cups of coffee in and you'd die of a heart attack uh, if you could be on all the time or, or whatever, you know, in the right sort of uh, bouncy attitude and, and hanging on every customer's words at that level. But I find that, you know, since I started doing this podcast 29 episodes ago or whatever, and, and obviously thinking about it before I even did it, there's, you know, everybody, you know, if you've got somebody in a role at a dealership, right? And they're doing their role and they're not getting a bit of a, a creative uh, sort of um, payback out of it. You know, I mean, I, I would joke and say, like I just told you off mic, you know, I'm, I'm not a drawer. I'm not an artist. 
I wouldn't have really considered myself creative because I never have wanted to do anything with art. You know, I'm not good at it. I don't really enjoy it. Maybe that's the chicken or the egg. I'm not sure. But I think if if we can, you know, uh, take uh, staff, you know, that, that work for us and, and work, you know, for the customers that we serve and find a way to, to untap, you know, some creative within them. I mean, I think that that's the way we can really get them um, driven down to that level of, uh, of, um, of, I don't know, not even experience. It's just, uh, information and knowledge and, and really being the go-to at a place. I mean, what, what's your thought on that? Yeah. I, I, most people don't know where to start, I guess. So, you know, you got to break this mold that you've been in for 30 years because you've made a great living. And unfortunately in life, it's, you've just got to change and being whether you say if you say you're not creative you're not going to be but if you if you make a general uh, try at it you'll be surprised at how fast you can actually generate ideas and this is a bit of the um, inexperience for me because I'm trying to implement this with a very low number of customers right now but the gist of it is is trying to get the juices going mm-hmm. where there's none it's dry right now and you need to create some creativity but they don't know where to start they're just like sit around okay we're gonna have a meeting well you know you, you gotta the meeting's gotta have a plan and you know and rather than look around at each other and i've been in those meetings and it's not very productive so you need to get something going. Now, my go-to is the idea box. And an idea box is probably the easiest way to create content on what you're trying to do. So question me on this too, Brian, if Mm -hmm. I'm not explaining this correctly. Mm -hmm. So in an idea box, you come out with... uh, well, let, let's use an let's use an example. We're going to improve the design for a laundry hamper. Okay, so on the top of the idea box, you're going to have basically your suits of cards, your diamonds, your hearts, and that. And then on the left side, going down, you're going to have the numbers of the cards. That's the best way I remember it. So the the suits would be for improving a design for a laundry hamper would be the material, the shape, the finish and position. Now, and then what you go down is you go down underneath each heading material, wicker, plastic, paper, metal, uh, net material, the shape, square, cylindrical, et cetera, the finish, natural, painted, clear, et cetera, position, sits on the floor, on the ceiling, on the wall, uh, on the door. Okay. So now you've got all your suits, which is basically uh, your different aspects of the idea. Then you've created subcategories underneath each one. Now, once you've got that box, that idea box written out, that's why I have a huge whiteboard in my office. Now you circle and connect the different categories to create something. So for this gentleman here who did the uh, improve the design for a laundry hamper, he took net material circles, drew a line over to the next category, cylindrical, cylindrical, excuse me, mm-hmm. painted, 
to the finish and on the door. And he created basically a basketball hoop for your dirty laundry. And it goes into this bag that comes off on a string so you can bring it to the laundry. And he took something that has been the same forever and created a multi-million dollar business. So is what you're saying, is that's, is that from, um, is that from a book? Or where, that is you... from a book called Thinker Toys. Thinker Toys? Thinker Toys. Okay, interesting. It's uh... Michael Michael Michalko, M-I-C-H-A-L-K-O. I don't know if I said that name right. I probably butchered it. <laughs> well, maybe he'll get a book sale out of it. It's worth it, right? <laughs> get his 30 cents yeah. or whatever he gets for a book sale nowadays. Um, yeah. So that's really interesting. So I guess what you're, what you're proposing is that some sort of process like that, that's, you know, uh, very uh, analytical, methodical, however you want to kind of phrase that is implemented at a dealership Correct for ideas. But would it, you say an idea box, you're not talking about scrap of paper in a box where it's anonymous. You're talking about a box that's got a bunch of different choices on it or how, how would, how would a dealership implement that? I guess is what I'm asking. So, okay. So, uh, we're going to, let's stop. This is totally off the top of my head. So we're going to improve chemical sales in our shop. So let's create, you know, want a minimum of four, maximum of six, uh, suits. So I usually like to use four. So if we were doing, uh, improving chemical sales, so, uh, we would put, uh, for category one, uh, let's just say signage, uh, category two, social media, category three, um, how, uh, let's see how we say this, uh, verbal sales at the counter or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, for four, we would put, um, a contest of some type, maybe we could throw that in there. So now, now under each one of those, we would create subcategories. So signage, let's say electronic paper, uh, 3d, um, display, et cetera, et cetera. And we would pick one of those and let's just say we're going to do electronic and we'd circle that in the subcategory. We go over to the next one. I can't remember what I said for the next category was, but let's just say it's uh, counter, the counter, the verbal counter presentation, let's call it. And then we would say promoting that um, with a, a price sale, uh, a, a coolness factor, and et cetera, et cetera. And then we would connect that electronic sign with what we're going to say in the presentation be however we flamboyantly do it, hopefully to get their attention. And then we would connect that to something in the other two categories. Now you've connected these and you've created an idea. Now, if I have four categories and let's just say four subcategories under each heading, now we have almost, uh, forgive my math, but I think it's something like 400,000 different ways we can do this. So that's something where you would, you would go in and well, you'd help dealerships maybe um, plug in that sort of a formula, so to speak, 
to you know by by idea which or 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 problem to solve right in your case you're talking about increasing sales of uh, chemical products or whatever that way and then you're just getting very nuanced in the pieces of here's the attempt here's what we're going to try to do and here's how we're going to do it with all the sort of uh, pieces exactly framework right i mean it's what you're you're laying out a framework for that yeah, this is the plan, and, and you've basically got all the ideas in front of you, all the subcategories and nuances that you'd like to try. And then you just connect them to each other to create the idea, thus the idea box. Now, do you do and that? you can with, use – go ahead. I was going to say, would you do that with – would you sit with somebody, um, you know, would you be sitting with a – like a, a parts manager or something like that, or would you be sitting with the owner, or would you be sitting with an individual – parts people man the more people the more people you got in it the the better okay now i'm, I'm going to tell you personally i use this all the time on my presentations so i want to do a car a cardo presentation mm-hmm. i will take um the uh different nuances of the product and then i'll break it into subcategories and then i will decide with that idea box what the most important you know because let's face it you don't have that much time with these guys usually during the work day. You don't want to suck up their time. So you want to make sure you use that 20% that they'll get 80% of the product. So you do this drill it down for me with this idea box on how to make the presentation as effective as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. And you, or you could use it for a problem at home. I mean, there's different applications to it. I'm just telling you the real world ways that I'm using it. Would does that turn into be an issue with, um, I always think about when you've got multiple people involved in making a decision, you know, you get a table full of people in a, in a meeting room. You don't really get a definitive answer by the time all said and done because everybody <laughs> has a different opinion of what the, well, this is what I would think and that's what I'd think. Does that end up being no, an issue? No, but, that, but that's really what you're, that, to get everyone together is really what you want, you want to fill the box. Okay, that's a buy. And then that's a buy really, thing, huh? Exactly. Now they're all bought in. Now they've got their someone's got their idea, and they you know, maybe they won't get used, but you keep the box up because you'll erase what you circled and connected to make that idea. And like I said, we, you, the you've got so many different ways you can go with this idea box that you built. It's not even funny. I mean, you can go with a paper sign and a bogo with it. Or, you know, 10% off your service counter. You know, we can go so many different ways and connect these different ideas that now that they're at least part of the plan, but really, the you know, the consent, the buy-in or whoever's going to decide is usually the leader, the, the parts manager, or the general manager, or the owner, whoever's highest on the food chain making the decision who's like, who likes it and says, hey, that we never, we haven't done that. And that's what this gets you to. Tell me. We've never done that. This is from what again? Is this from that toy book? Thinker Toys. Thinker Toys. Okay, so I'm gonna. I, I'm only asking because I'm gonna. Once I edit this down, I'm probably gonna include that in the notes and maybe a link to. I don't know that book. Is it? Do you read the book or do you do audio stuff? Oh. Or is it available on a video or like what's the best? This digestible? is one of the. This is one of the books that I have it in all. I have it. I, the only thing I don't have it is in the actual paper. I have it electronically downloaded. And then um, I have the, uh, no, I don't have the audio on this. Yes, I do have the audio on this. Yes, okay. I do. Okay. I just am imagining like 
Is that the sort of thing where somebody that's in a hurry will easier look at a grid of sorts on that and get it? Or do you also get it from, you know, an audio description within the book if you don't have a... No, that's that's what I was worried about when I brought this up. This is very hard (laughs) to visualize. Well, of course, I, I thought you were talking about literally the anonymous paper suggestion box that every business has, but it's only for employees. Of course, my brain went way simple on this deal. And you're telling me, I'm like, I am not following, but now I get it. I mean, it definitely is. It's, it's, uh, it's, that makes it uh, intricate for sure. You know, and this and, is not a read through book. I'm just I'm going to put this out there right now. You will not read through this book. It is not casual reading. I've had this book for a year and a half. I'm an avid reader. I just take something and it took me like two or three of them the lotus flower and some other ones this one was the simplest and concise for what i wanted to use it for there's brute think in there it's like taking a pencil out looking at it you got six sides and eraser you take those six sides they each mean something and you start jotting it down that's brute think that's another thing there's the lotus flower there's a a whole bunch of these are just to inspire creativity Mm-hmm. And that's what these do. And I'm just sharing with you guys, get the book. This has been the most applicable for me and what I do. I first use it for doing presentations and I love it because it makes my presentations. It just makes my, well, practice your presentation makes better, but the content wise and getting down to the best presentation, that is it. And I know a bunch of my customers, if they're going to listen, they're going to laugh because I'm not a great presenter. <laughs> I get <laughs> I get off task a lot, and, and that especially if you have questions. The other one I wanted to bring up was steel, like an art artist. I am blessed enough to be with a boss mentor, Rick Dorfmeyer, who runs our region, and we uh, read books together as a region, all of us. And this is brand new; it just got on my radar. Steel, like an artist. Bizarre name, but it has some thought-provoking ideas. I'll give you one for you. Who's that? For by? you, coffees. That is by Austin Cleon, K L E O N. Okay. Austin Cleon, and I'll tell you that I opened this thing up and I, I just like, oh man, I don't know about this book this week. You know, what are we going to do and stuff? And he gave us a workbook with it, and a fun one was for baristas. Okay. It said. compete competitiveness always brings out the best in people Mm -hmm. and so they said for example put uh biggie and tupac in two tip jars so they can choose who they like and i'm like that's brilliant that's freaking brilliant if i was uh, working at the bar still like i used to i I would have a whole bunch of you know fleetwood mac or les zeppelin or whatever you know you know, it's just, it could be, it's fun. It's competitive, but this is, this is where the staleness, the going to work and doing everything. But there's, there's a caveat here. These, whoever I'm talking to, they have to want to be better. And let's face it, put some more time in than nine to five. Well, I think that would bring us back to where we ended the last, the first segment of this and we started the, the second segment and, and I wrote down, you know, plug into creativity and um, certainly there's no one answer because everybody's different. Right. But I yeah, think, absolutely I think, you know, it's the old, uh, you know, you don't give up on the baby that hasn't learned how to walk because it hasn't learned how to walk yet. Right. It crawls until it walks and you keep trying and eventually it happens. Right. If, if there's commitment to doing it, that baby wants to be 
mobile. They want to be doing, you know, more things than the crawl, um, seeing the other humans walk. But I think exactly. that's, that's got to, you know, it's frustrating. I remember my days and, and, you know, okay, I got a staff member here working for me and, um, you know, the, you know, it was, you'd like to think that there's procedures in place. And I remember being a lot more rigid in my mindset when I was a parts manager those many years ago, because it was like, of course, I have my laundry list of to do's. Okay. So I'm generally the first one in unlock the door, immediately walk straight to the alarm panel, you know, plug in the code. Okay. Bam. That's done. Okay. Then I'm walking back. I'm flipping on lights. So, you know, of course you have these different procedures, turn on the on hold message, which was whatever, you know, in the old, um, spaghetti bowl of, uh, electronic wires that was, you know, <laughs> in that one little office. And it was just a little thing hanging off the wall, you know, like whatever, like whatever the routines were, but that the creative part, I think is one that probably a lot of people struggle with because the people who are the leaders of those different departments probably have a lot of to do's, right? I mean, they probably have a lot of structurally, I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to do my end of day, my end of week, end of month, whatever it is. How do you tap those people into getting them creative? I think, I don't know, maybe it's got to do with asking your staff, you know, different things about either what they're into or you know what they're into and you start giving them some creative license. Because I think I've, I've witnessed and I'm sure you have, you know, I don't remember how many podcasts ago it was, but there's a, there's a guy named, uh, he goes by Skippy. He's in, uh, he's in like uh, Denton, Texas and he's at a shop and man, he is a creative nut job. You know, he's always, I'm a fan. Posting. I'm a fan. I watch yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's out there and he does a lot of cool stuff. And, and, and if nothing else, he's putting out, you know, cool content and talking about stuff that he wants you to think about. He's taking, you know, his, what he wants in his brain and putting it into your brain. If you happen to watch him. Um, and you know, if he can do that to a customer base, then they know he's the go-to, you know, there ain't no two of him, you know, there's definitely guys that'll do it in a different way. Uh, but you know, if, if, you know, a guy like him or, or anybody, I mean, I think, I think people, if they so desire, if they can get fired up about it to that level and you give them the ability to, uh, to be creative and exercise that creativity and, and you trust them, right? If you don't trust an employee, then, you know, I guess by all means keep, you know, giving them tasks, having them sit at the counter, you know, again, we are talking about parts and accessories or whatever, but, and if you, if you do, and you want them to stick around, you want them to be successful and grow and, and give you their best into their creativity, you got to help them unlock that. And I guess there's no one answer to that, but. No, but that's a huge deal right there. Giving them a little bit of freedom uh, to do that instead of pressing them under the thumb. You know, if you hired them for a reason, you know what? Try and get it. If they don't have the structure enough to come up with some ideas, help them come up with ideas. And this is where I believe that there's two things that are always a problem in shops. No, I don't care what shop you go into. And tell me, please tell me if you agree with this, Brian. Mm -hmm. um, one is communication between the different. I mean, it's always a problem. It doesn't matter how good or how big or how small. There's always communication. If anything, it's better in the small shops because it's more one-on-one -on -one and personable. They can read, uh, you know, body language easier and stuff. But it's still a problem. And the other thing is standard operating procedures. There's just not enough built in. And that standard operating procedures is what most parts managers need because they're not scaling. They go, I don't have enough time to even answer my emails. I'm like, ooh, that's a problem, dude. You, you need to make time. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about time blocking. Joe, there's not enough time. Mm -hmm. Well, then you've got too much on your plate and you need to advocate that to someone else. You need to scale yourself. 
you, you there's I know parts managers that are still pricing stuff and doing you know displays. And I'm laughing like because that. I'm laughing because I lived that right at the at one of the shops I was at in, in Texas. Uh, I loved the owner, still good pals with him. He's not in the business anymore. He sold off his shop and he's doing other things now. But um, I always think about that when I go in and I see people that are overly uh, frustrated, looking stressed out, you know, like, and, right. and, and when you, when you have that going on and it's not because they have a line of people, like it's, you know, Christmas time at the, at the retail store sort of deal. Like it's not because they just can't keep up with people handing them the money. It's because of all the other pieces of the puzzle that have to happen. Right. And like you're saying, the scale ability factor, let's call it, you know, is it, Am I a parts manager who's I'm here until eleven o'clock at night checking in and tagging T-shirts or whatever they have to go out on the rack? Because well, you know what? I, I got a new hire. I'm training them. It takes a lot of energy to do that. It's like doing two jobs at once while I'm training them. And you know, like you're saying, maybe maybe they need to have three employees and they have literally one or whatever. You know, how do we help them get there? I you know that's a role that you sit in as a person walking in and giving them perspective on that and helping them you know, hit the reset button on their, the way they're seeing it. And the same with me, although I don't deal with as many parts individuals in my role, but uh, very much the same, you know, that's, that's an area that you're, you're dead spot on with that. Yeah. Welcome to my world. That is exactly it in a nutshell, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't have enough time. Well, it's the chicken and the egg, the cart, the horse before the cart, whatever mm-hmm. it's, it's like, well, you got to make some time to get some time. Mm-hmm. And so let's work on this. Let's, uh, well, I don't know how to, you know, and then, you know, you got to go, you got to break it down and go through that. I've been helping with SLP a lot because I see that as, as lacking mm-hmm. in a lot of shops and, you know, there's stuff, there's no standardization in that and stuff. And I'm not saying all shops, so nobody, nobody email me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think I, I, hopefully I called that out earlier because I know that you've been doing yeah. this, you've been doing this a long time. So you've got plenty of shops that you've got, I'm mm-hmm. sure the whole, I don't know if it's a bell curve anymore necessarily, but you've definitely got a whole lot of dealers, I'm sure in an area that you sit in that know what they're doing and, you know, they're using you as best they can to, to, uh, to keep their staff lined up, everything rolling as it should, you know, in an ongoing sort of a momentum, you know, we've got momentum, everything's pretty much good. Here's the little nuances we need tweaked, but I'm sure on the outer fringes there, you've got, you know, just like we all probably do guys that really need the help the worst and are least likely to take you up on any help. You know, it's, it's maybe it's just overwhelming and we haven't found the way to communicate that with them that we're trying to help. Right. We can help them at least if nothing else, think it through in a way that they can begin to map out, like you're saying, whether it's standard operating procedure or otherwise, you know, tapping into creativity of those who do work for you or with you or whatever. Yeah. Just trying to be a catalyst to break some old thought processes that you weren't aware of. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of times that's it, mm-hmm. you know, they're just, this is what I, like you said, you go to work, you did alarm that, da, 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 da. You know, you just got to break that stuff. You got to, sometimes it takes just driving to work a different way. Have you ever done that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just change something up in your SOP, your, your standard operating procedure, whatever you do. Uh, again, I got a lot of help from my dad with this stuff. He just don't get in the rut, change it up. Mm-hmm. 
Well, that's just, you know, like, I mean, I guess an internal SOP, right? You get to your, if you're a manager that opens a store, you know, I, I was guilty of it too. I know that for a period of time when I would walk into a store, it was my store, I'd unlock, go and I straight to the alarm. I didn't walk in casually and look around and what do my displays <laughs> look like as I walked toward my department? Nope, I was on a mission, right? I was step one, step two, yep. step three. So I think much the same as what you're saying, you know, drive a different route. You know, get your, get your, uh, what is it? Neural pathways, you know, and not that that will do it, but, you know, start, start trying to find a way to look at things differently. And I think that's what, you know, again, just to go back to maybe the beginning is that that's what I always relied on with reps like yourself coming into the stores where I was a parts guy or parts manager at was that perspective. And I think still, when I go into shops, that's the thing that, uh, gets me the time to sit and talk to general managers and owners and these different people at the shops I work with in the role I'm in is that they know that I've oh. got perspective. And even though they may have many more years experience, much more in depth than what they do, I'm walking in having walked into all their competitors or whatever, most of their competitors and regionally, you know, so then I can easily probably point out something that, Hey, you know, you're doing this. Oh my God, I didn't know we were doing that. Now let me take a look. Oh, that's going to get fixed today. Okay. Well, great. <laughs> I just earned an attaboy, you know, because I, I, point, I kicked him in the ding ding, you know, and on that, and it wasn't a good thing, but that's the sort of thing they expect from those that I think that, you know, if you respect them and, and, uh, want to have those conversations. So. Yeah. That's something I didn't do when I, I, you know, I wish someone would have <clears throat> sat me down. I just, and I did it before anybody told me to do it, but it took me, a few years before I had enough guts to introduce myself, even to the general manager, the owners and that sure. I knew some from the networking and power sports is a small industry, but um, I'm proud to say that I've met every single owner of every store. And I, and I, most of them, not all, but I have a, a good relationship with, I don't think I'm going out too far out that. And that has proved to be uh, more valuable than anything, especially a parts manager only has a certain view of his store, which is the view he needs to have. Mm -hmm. But if you talk to a general manager and an owner, you can get a 30,000 foot store view of the yep. store. Yep. And you're like, Ooh, that the perspectives changed. Mm -hmm. We need to go this way a little bit more that way. And that is, um, that's just huge. I think. Well, I think, if we were to sum up, you know, kind of the conversation today, to me, it's it's about, you know, creativity. Obviously, we talked about several different things, but um, that, you know, I would say, you know, if if you've got folks that you know, they're working for you, if you're if you're one of the individuals that's uh, what do they call salespeople, individual contributors <laughs> instead of <laughs> instead of salespeople, like if you've got somebody that's an individual contributor, meaning I guess nobody reports to them or whatever, they're an individual contributor to the organization. If you've got oh. some of them that you don't, um, you know, you don't feel like you'd want to give them more freedom to be creative to uh, to do the sort of the things we discussed today, I would encourage you to start looking to replace them. Right? I mean, right? If you haven't figured out how to get there with them mentally, I think you've I think you're you've gotten to the point of end of scale with the individual, right? So I know that's tough. It's tough to find, you know butts for the seats on the bus or whatever kind of that deal goes. Right. Um, but you know, if you're not feeling comfortable with that individual to give them freedom to get to the point where they can tap into creativity and become the best employee for you. Right. Um, and, and given, you know, given they're all going to that sort of next level of, uh, 
of being able to bring something to the organization, you should be looking elsewhere. That's kind of my take. And if you're that individual, if you're that individual contributor, so to speak, and you're not finding it and you're trying to exercise it or get them to let you and you're not getting it, then I would encourage you to look elsewhere. <laughs> that's, Absolutely. That's me. I guess that's, I feel like that was bold, but I don't think it was that bold, but I, I hate to say that out loud when, when a guy would be like, dude, I'm trying to keep people here. Don't, don't tell people to leave, look elsewhere. But uh, I, I, I just know from the different places I've been, the best I am and the, and the most sort of a depth in offering or, or most efficiency or any of these are sort of things you can tap into with a person is when they've, they feel the ability to be creative in what they do. Even if I'm like I say, we're not talking about drawn stick figures. We're talking about going to the part of your brain that, that kind of unlocks things that you didn't know were a problem or comes up with solutions you didn't know needed solutions. So. Absolutely. Okay, well, you did your here you go competition, so I'm gonna make sure to accentuate that in the notes, and all your all your competitions gonna listen. <laughs> but again, as we all know, you know, it's not like you're giving away the financials of, of Tucker Power Sports. You you've just said some things that should make sense to everybody, and everybody should be doing. But we all know that doing those yeah, things sometimes I, takes work. And I think it's more it's applicable to any business. I mean, yeah. I really is. I don't, I don't, you know, I've gone outside the industry too, to say, Oh wow, you guys got that problem too. It's just, uh, it's, it's just people. It's just people. And, um, you know, you guys get some creativity books, thinker toys, steal like an artist is mine. And my only other one for, for anybody who wants to be anything in life, I think is a 21 year, 21 irrefutable laws of leadership by John Maxwell, because you need to learn how to lead people. Okay. Perfect. Got any, um, got any sort of people that you look up to as like a mentor or that you mentor from or, or any of that sort of deal where you could share a story about that and any of that sort of out there for you? That I could, I'm sorry, say that again, that I could share the, a mentor that share a story. Uh, yeah. Like, is there anybody that you consider a mentor or do you mentor with anybody where you could kind of, you know, share that that's, you know, something they should, people should look into? Yeah. Um, I think everyone should have a mentor and I'm, I'm not just talking about one person, Rick Dorfmeyer, Jim Barker, Jason Potter. Um, these guys are talking to me all the time. They are my superiors, but they are mentors to me because, we talk not about my numbers and if I hit it, we talk about books. We talk about the structure of where I want to bring my businesses and how I have a mentor for, uh, working out. I have a mentor for spirituality and I have a mentor for uh, my marriage and, and my relationships with my family. I have people that I, I have and I look up to, and I'm um, submissive to, I should say, mm -hmm. I think is maybe too strong a word, but it's truth mm -hmm. on to take their wisdom and advice. And I would, if you don't have a mentor, if you're listening to me right now and you don't have a mentor, you need to get one. If you're, and I will guess that you're, you might be in a rut. If you're not good for you, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. But if you are stuck and you're kind of flatlined, you probably, if you get a mentor, it would probably be the best thing that you ever did. And so for those who may not have ever done that before, is there a starter mentor program? Like, do you go and say, 
in, uh, in working out, uh, you know, I don't know anything about working out, but I know that, you know, the guy down the street's in great shape and he's always running, he's always going to the gym or whatever. Is it one of those deals where you just say, you know, just pick, pick an area that you want to move from where you are to a better place in and see if that individual will, either, either a real life individual that you're going to talk to will kind of hold you accountable or do you recommend them just saying, no, just follow them on social media, you know, try to do the things that you see as positive or where would you say to go with that? Well, either or, I mean, uh, you know, in the workout stuff, I, you know, I like to talk to someone, but I have to admit that I've, uh, totally embraced Tim Ferriss. I, I like his work. A lot of people don't, a lot of people do, um, the four hour body. Uh, so that became, that's become my go-to, uh, for that. I was blessed with a lot of, uh, people that are in extremely good shape. So I asked their ideas. They're the ones who sent me that way. You do not have to have a person. It's great to have an accountability person. That's, uh, that everyone should have an account. I do every, every Monday, Jim Barker and I talk for just about five minutes and have accountability. And he's my mentor on my accountability. And then, um, you do, you don't have to have a personal, you can have a book, do a Brandon Bouchard, high performance habits. I've been studying that book for six months. He's my mentor on how to keep performance going high and maintain it. I consider him my mentor, but I'm just using his book and I continuously reread it and go through it. That can be a mentor too. John Maxwell, another one. I've never met John Maxwell. I've, well, I've met him at a book signing, but he's, we don't have a communication or anything, but I, I've read almost every book he's written and, um, he's my leadership mentor. So just go out there. If you, now it's great because if you're not a reader, you're kind of like, Oh, I don't read. And, but now there's, audiobooks mm -hmm. and if you drive or any amount of time or you know with the headsets and airpods and all that stuff you can look into you can listen to audiobooks all the time for stuff my personal one right now where i find a lot of new content that tried to get ideas and stuff i love listening to ted talks mm -hmm. you listen to them on a podcast or something or on a in like youtube no, just listening i just i just before i start driving i get the i get a i get a good uh, something communication. Cause I'm big on communication. I, I want to be a great communicator and one day I will, but I I'm working on it and I will listen to every single Ted talk. Uh, I don't care in that and copywriting. They're my two passions right now that I'm, I'm working on and I'll listen to Ted talks on every single one of those. And then they mention a book and then they mention a mentor or then they mention a speaker. And then you keep going from there and you just dig and dig and dig. Mm -hmm. Interesting how we how we get our content these days and the sort of things that we have right at our fingertips, right? So there's no excuse. You, you just gotta yeah yeah find the thing that you you feel like needs the most change the most uh, quickly and 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 plug in that sort of a formula over it. So, hmm. well, thanks for spending all this time with me. I feel like uh, so yeah. I mean, my little tagline for the show has been. Uh, helping dealers tap into high performance ideas. And I feel like today I, I took more notes than probably I've ever taken because of the, some of the stuff we got talking about. It got me thinking. And to me, that's almost where I feel like if I get no listens to the show, I would still feel like I got my brain tapped into that sort of creative space, made a bunch of notes, got thinking about other things, which is horrible on a show when you're recording a podcast, when you feel like you missed like, oh shoot, what did they just say? And where, am I on the hot mic now? Is it quiet? <laughs> so to me that... 
that's when I feel like you know I feel like it's it's all it's all good. We've we've had a great conversation and and had it. Uh, we record it and maybe maybe today, tomorrow, the next day, maybe in a few years, some somebody at a in a parts department or service or whatever of a dealership is gonna is gonna hear it and it's gonna be just what they needed to hear to to kind of get them a kick in the butt that they needed or whatever you know get them thinking about something else. So cool, man. Well, thanks thanks, thanks for having me. Absolutely. And, uh, I, thanks for for letting me talk. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I'd love to have you on again sometime. And, and I feel like we've got plenty we could talk about. So we'll have to shoot for something like that. And, uh, otherwise, uh, go out there and keep serving your folks. I know you will. And, uh, keep after it. And everybody listening, if, if, uh, if you've listened this far and you're here at the tail end of this, uh, please, when you're finished, please take a moment to share it with one or two or 10 or a hundred people that, you know, uh, I'm just looking for folks in the business to listen. And I want to make sure we have all the ideas and all the perspective we can gain. And, and if somebody disagrees, I encourage them to, to tell me why, and let's talk about it. Maybe they'll even come on a podcast and state their opinion for how, what we said was all wrong. And I'm all for that. You know, I think that that greater conversation, um, and again, we're a pretty tight group. You're not going to see me uh, successfully blasting this podcast out to the masses because the masses aren't working uh, in or around into uh, power sports dealerships, and I know that. So this isn't going to be this isn't going to be a big goldmine for me to do this. This is because I think it needs to exist, and I think these conversations need to happen. And I'm all for uh, you got something to add to it or disagree or whatever. Please reach out to me, and uh, that's my uh, alter pulpit speak so uh uh everybody uh thanks uh joe for coming on and we'll catch you soon thank you thanks